All right. Episode 26, I believe, of the Fuzz Club. And we're talking about the one and only Queens of the Stone Age and their new record uh, in Times New Roman. So we'll just go around and introduce ourselves real quick, and then we'll jump right into it. Blake, if you want to lead us off. I'm Blake from IWAS. I'm Ryan from Hiders at Queen and Look at My Spoon Productions. Our guest today, Tony. Uh, Tony Tornay from Fatso Jetson and All Souls. Bucky, I'm a music critic, reviewer, Doom Charts, Bandcamp, Ripple Effect. I'm Eddie from The Endless, Lords of Opium Church, and now I was. Congratulations. Nice. I'm uh, the newlywed Chris, so I'm off the streets, if you guys know. <laughs> from the band. And I'm Randy. I took him from all you boys. Milk, the milk is no longer free. I'm steaming with jealousy over here. I know, I know. It's the hair. Mm-hmm. It is the hair. <clears throat> All right. So Queens of the Stone Age. Uh, for, for me personally, Queens of the Stone Age are one of my favorite bands ever. And it's it's for a variety of reasons. And one of them being that they're always doing something different. You never quite know what you're going to get with each record. Until about Like Clockwork. I felt like then you could kind of tell what you were going to get with them. And Like Clockwork and then Villains and now... Uh, apparently, this was kind of a trilogy of albums uh, in Times New Roman being the third of that trilogy. And we'll kind of get into what that means in a little bit. But I felt like around the lock, like clockwork time, they stopped being that band that kind of had rotating members and rotating vibes and different attitudes. And you, you weren't quite sure what the album was going to be like going into it. And this one, it kind of continued with that being part of the trilogy. But I, I did... I enjoyed it, and and I guess we'll get into some of that here in a little bit. But anyone else have any thoughts on you know just Queens in general and and kind of what their experience with them has been over the years and going into this record? I mean, for me at least, it's been a frustrating few years with with Queens. You know, like my 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 favorites personally are are the self titled songs for the deaf um, and lullabies to paralyze. Um, that's that's kind of my you know that early half is is where I really enjoy Queens of the Stone Age. Um, when you get to past era vulgaris, I kind of, to be honest, tuned out. Um, this album was the first one that I like really listened to that they'd done um, quite a few years, uh, just because I kind of thought they were just over, um, at least for me in my taste. Um, I knew a lot of people who liked them, which was definitely interesting. Uh, but I found myself liking them more. Maybe I'm just a fucking snob. Um, well, maybe. I, I, no. I actually, maybe. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I actually think this one's a little different than the last couple. Because I, I went back and I was listening to more Queens of the Stone Age albums to prepare for this. And I think it's a little more akin to if I was going to compare it to another one, Era Vulgaris, in certain ways. Um, it it kind of has a mix between Era Vulgaris and, and maybe Lullabies. And, you know, those two albums were next to each other. So it's kind of yeah. interesting. It's definitely darker, I think. Yeah. Uh, if, we're, if we're approaching these last three records as a trilogy, because I believe it's the last three records have been the same lineup for the last three when they've kind of had revolving... Not so much members, but guests, and Josh yeah. does a lot of the stuff, you know. Um, I think it's by far the darkest one, and I think a lot of that may have to do with, you know, if you need anybody knows about what Josh has been going through the past couple of years, you know, from just from reading about it. But, like, it's uh, – I, I I personally think this record is the best out of those three, uh, the trilogy. I, I'm, I'm, I'm really impressed with this record. One thing I'm always impressed about with Queens of the Stone Age is every single record, because I bought their first one when it, when it first came out. Like I've been a fan since the beginning. And even when, but even when I bought it, I didn't like it, the first record. And then as I, back in, you know, this is the days of CDs, so I finally flipped through my catalog and put that CD back in again, gave it a chance. I go, holy shit, this is really good. Uh, it's like I didn't know. Every record of theirs has been like that for me. I hear it and I go, man, it's not, not what I wanted. And then it just grows on me. I would agree with that. Yeah, it's kind of been like that for me as well. And I kind of jumped into them around Songs for the Deaf, I think. But even that record, 
you know, believe it or not, the first time I heard it, I was like, I don't know, I don't quite get it. Or at least some of it I didn't quite get. And then it became one of my favorite records ever. And certainly can the same can be said for like Era Volgaris and stuff, which has grown on me a lot over the years. But um, the trilogy thing, I, I haven't quite seen a whole lot of like exactly what that means. But the couple things that I found were that, yeah, it's kind of the same lineup for the last three. And it's all been on Matador Records. I don't know if they had like a deal with them for only three records, but it was like a, a trilogy through Matador Records. But also the art, you know, is consistent. It's all from Boneface. Um, it's changed a lot over the last three, but it's all from the same artist. So those three things, I guess, make it a trilogy. I don't know if there's more to it than that or not, if there was anything like thematically that, that made it a trilogy. But that's the word that I keep getting, I, I see getting thrown around a lot is the trilogy. So we'll, uh, we'll just assume that that is what it is. So um, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to add, I, I had no idea about this trilogy talk and I've, I'm not an expert on Queens and I've never considered myself a diehard Queens of the Stone Age fan. I think I'm kind of similar to what you guys all have said. I, I, first time I heard their early albums, I, I really didn't like them. I got drawn to Queens or I, I've discovered them when they were with their singles on the radio, the early 2000s kind of the you know no one knows little the sister or whatever the hell like i can't think of the name of song and, and i really liked their singles like those were the catchy easy to listen to queen's songs and i heard the albums i was like man what the fuck is this and now the older i get and after listening to this album i i i really haven't took the time to go back and like re-listen to the like the self-titled really in a like since like a decade ago but i would bet that i would probably like it now much more than i liked it back when it was more popular and i, th I think it's just true with the, all their albums like my favorite album before this album came out was like clockwork which you heard blake like me and blake are sometimes polar opposites and it makes sense. it makes perfect sense <laughs> that was like the album that like i fell in love with that album and but again i didn't fall in love with queens of the stone age as a band like a cult following at all like they're good i'm like paid attention but i wasn't like a diehard and i still don't consider myself I think the the thing for me with like like clockwork was that it stopped being like surprising, and I I think I kind of alluded to that at the beginning, but like there there was a lot to that record that just seemed very mature and just very straightforward, and it sounded like a band that had found their sound and kind of like just went with that throughout the whole album. Whereas the rest of their albums before clockwork were lots of surprises. There was you know this weird track and this like fast track and this slower one and this acoustic one and this really heavy one and there's different guest spots and they're screaming and there's different vocals and there's different there's all sorts of different stuff going on and I feel like they kind of stopped doing that at Clockwork. Whereas just to get back to the record that we are talking about uh, they, they kind of did that with this one a little bit here and there. There was some weird stuff in it that I haven't heard, heard from them in maybe a little while I feel like. And one thing I appreciate about these guys, um, whether I liked the songs or not, is that kind of irreverent, I'm just going to do whatever the fuck I want to do. Thing. I'm not going to follow any trends. I'm going to just be, you know, who I am and what I what I do. And, and fuck you if you don't like it kind of thing. So I do appreciate that. And, and I've always appreciated that kind of sexual swagger that they have. Like, there's a sexual energy that permeates through all their stuff that you don't really get with every band, you know? Yeah. And I don't know exactly where it comes from. I don't know if it's like straight out of Josh's loins <laughs> or what, but yeah, I think so. It's there, you know, whether I like the tune or not, it's like, hey, there's something sexy about this. They've it's always been very sexy to rock and roll to me, and I, yeah. I love that about them. You know, that was going to be one of my biggest points here today. Is I have here we go. <laughs> I have a soft, <laughs> I have a soft spot for uh, Josh and his sound. And maybe your gear, you gearheads can explain that tone that comes out in a lot of the songs. It's very repeated, whether it sounds, you know, fast, slow, whatever. Um, but it's very his sound and his depicted sexiness or something that just comes out in it. And as a female, I'm very drawn to it. 
I'm not a huge fan of Queens of the Stone Age. I've never bought an album. But if a song comes on, I need to hear it. I need to take it in and I need to have like a moment with it. And it's always been quite interesting. And um, I really wonder if that's all intentional or is that just like an oblivious thing? Like, oh, accidental sexy. Like, you know, so you guys can try to break that down for me. But for me and a lot of females, I we really get it. <laughs> Something from it. Well, well Tony, wanna, Tony, what do you Tony, think yeah. about that? I mean, say, you, Tony's the one that knows him, right? Yeah, you you know him a, a bit, and, and you can tell us kind of how much and, and everything, what your experience with Josh has been over the years, and and where does that well, sexiness I, come from? <laughs> well, well Josh, Josh have you ever friend. had sex with Josh? Uh, <laughs> I, I have not had sex with Josh, uh, <laughs> but he is my oldest friend. Uh, we've we've known each other since we were five years old. Uh, and, you know, I, I know that at the beginning of Queens, you know, even even during Caius, there, there was this drive of less dudes, you know, it like just going to the sweaty club all the time and it just being like all dudes all the time. It's like, hey, we like girls, too. We want girls to come up front and dance like dancing's way cooler than a bunch of dudes with their shirts off slamming into each other. You know, and I, I, I mean, I think there was always a concerted effort of of finding a groove and or or is uh oh it, anyway that's a stupid joke but um <laughs> if you've seen the Fred Armisen drum series where he's all this groove I'm playing this anyway it just, yeah. just um but yeah no I mean I there has been a concerted effort of uh, I I know that there was a concerted effort of you know being inclusive and not exclusive and and you know there, there's only so much time there's only so many times you can you know yell fuck you you know before it gets boring and you know people like to dance <laughs> i mean there's definitely a swagger to their stuff yeah. right like and i think that i've even I'll never forget going into the studio for the recording the first Hydrogen Queen album. And I, I, yeah, and I had our engineer at the time was like, try to make that sexier. And I go, I don't know what that means, you know? <laughs> and, and, and he's like, no, you do. Like, you do. Just make it sexier. And I was like, give me an example. And he's like, Josh Homme. I'm like, oh, okay. And, he's, and he, he, I never like kind of thought of it that way, maybe because I'm a dude. I don't know. But man, there is definitely some swagger in the way that he delivers his lines and stuff, right? And it's, yeah. I think it's also in his guitar playing. And I'm sure like yeah. Eddie and Blake could speak, you know, all the guitar players on this thread, not me, can speak more to that as well. But there's something unique in his style. And I think it's interesting to hear that from Tony that he's like, hey, let's get more girls here. And he, uh, he definitely nailed that for sure. <laughs> Yeah. Damn it! Damn it! He did it. God, how do you do that? And Tony, would it would it possibly be just a sound of the area? Like I, we traveled out to Rancho de la Luna for my own personal reasons one time, and there's a a real different feel out in the desert and out in those areas. And would that play in part of maybe some of that swagger or sound that becomes unique to him? Possibly. I mean, you know. We're we're old enough that we all grew up, you know, me me and all my friends, you know, obviously pre-internet, pre I mean, we didn't even really get fanzines out in the desert back in the the mid eighties and stuff when we all started playing in bands, you know, it was it was all kind of word of mouth and you know, we didn't have clubs, so we were playing out in the desert, you know, where you kind of realize quickly that that's a lot of space that you have to fill up. And, you know, that, that, that's when bass cabinets as guitar cabinets started kind of coming in. And, and, you know, I, I, I think that a lot of us just kind of were chasing sounds in our heads and we didn't have a big influence. We weren't in the city, so we weren't being inundated with, with stuff all the time. It was way more, you know, I mean, I remember, you know, there was a big thing about like Caius back in the day tuning down to C. And, you know, I've heard a lot of people speculate that, that, you know, oh, they were just trying to get heavier and heavier. And really the, the reality of it was like Josh didn't have a tuner. Like he knew how to tune his guitar, 
but he didn't have a way to like get it to E or what. It was just like hit a string. That sounds cool. We're going to go with that, you know? And that, I think that kind of spirit of like, we're just going to make this up as we go and figure it out along the way is a big part of, you know, desert music in general. Um, I mean, as far as like Josh and his tone specifically, I mean, over the years, obviously it's kind of refined and, you know, he's sort of found this thing that, that he, you know, works well for him. Uh, I don't, I don't know how much of that has to do with the desert as much as we just didn't as kids know what we were doing. And that was our jumping off point. So after that, you know, is you, you, you just kind of, I don't know though, that it, it, you always remember kind of where you started doing something and you go from there, but that's kind of your route. And I kind of feel like that must be part of what he's doing. What do you, what are your thoughts on like kind of the evolution of the Queens of the Stone Age sound? Because he seems to want to continue to distance himself from like stoner rock, desert rock, whatever, more and more with each album. And I also heard him say a few times he doesn't ever really want to do any, the same thing twice. And I'm sure that's the same for a lot of creative people, musicians, but a lot of stick with a sound and stick with the thing and, and try to keep at least that same spirit alive, maybe. And he always used to go like, it doesn't matter. We're going to do something very different each time. What, what are your thoughts on kind of their sound and even specifically to like this new album yes well i i think you know i i, I mean the queen okay to be up front queens are pretty much one of my favorite contemporary bands now i don't know if that's because we're buddies or not but i have you know so i was in the recording studio with them during the recording of the first record like i shot all the photos of that like it was pretty much me, Josh and Joe Barisi and then Alfredo when he played his drums, uh, you know, going going through the records, you know, the evolution of that band, you know, had one of the things I admire most about Josh is that he has been able to find commercial success and longevity while taking risks and not just repeating the same thing over and over again. And of course, I, I have certain records of theirs that I like more than others and certain songs that I think are better than others. And, you know, but but, you know, I. I really admire that he has been able to kind of do what he do things his way without needing to or asking to get permission to. It's, it's like with the Stoner Rock thing, you know, I mean, it j just immediately when that term got affixed to Caius and then ancillarily my band and every other band from the desert, uh, it, it was really kind of disappointing and stifling, you know, mostly because to us, you know, and, and this might be just a regional or generational thing, but to us stoners were these like kind of burnouts that, that, you know, like Jeff Spicoli pretty much. And, you know, that that's kind of, I mean, Jeff Spicoli is great to laugh at, but you're not really ever laughing with him. And, you know, that, that, that term, it just was like, but we want to do so much more than, than just this thing that's like over and over again. And it, it, and like all things like punk rock back in the day and hardcore and heavy metal and whatever, that genre kind of became a format. And it and a lot of people just slip it on like they put on their PE clothes or whatever. And, you know, it, it's like, you know, it's point A to point fucking B to point C. And it's very rigid. And there's a certain dress code and certain gear you're supposed to use. And none of us like wanted to subscribe to that. You know, we we all grew up a, a really big influence to everybody in the desert was SST records, you know, and, and they had. You look at SST and they have Black Flag, but they also have the Minutemen and they also have the Meat Puppets 
and the Bad Brains, and then later like Soundgarden, you know, and it was all over the map and it was all these things and it was amazing. And, and to us, and you know, I, I can't speak for Josh, but I would guess that I'm in the ballpark that, you know, it's like things like SST were, that was the inspiration, you know, to sort of chase the things that are in your head, not a genre. And, you know, the, 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 the thing, the thing with their evolution and, and, you know, the, the changing of band members and, you know, I mean, like I said, I have certain lineups of that band that I like better than others and whatever, but I still like all of it. And I, I'm, I've been, I've always enjoyed the ride of seeing where the next thing goes. Well said. And I agree with you a hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, knowing that evolution of, of band members and different uh, personalities and everything and, and just kind of seeing where they always go next is is what keeps me interested and keeps me as a fan is just going like whatever they do next uh, I'll check it out you know just being that kind of a fan not going not going into it and not having any expectations like I might with some metal band or someone else just going like I don't have any expectations when they put out new music I, I just whatever they're going to do I'll check it out because I know that it's you know heartfelt and it's going to be different and it's going to be good so i enjoy yeah, that about them I've, more than anything i've always looked at and i know from the outside looking in not knowing that i was always impressed by josh getting these different musicians and different lineups and i was kind of just a thought of it as a way of keeping things fresh and like he he always wants to do things different and that's really a good way of doing it is obviously yeah. bringing new people to the table um but speaking of the record you know we're talking you know mainly talking about today their most recent record the fact that he has had the same lineup uh, for years now, um, I do think, you know, this is my opinion, but this record stands out. And I I do hear the similarities of uh, the, the previous two, but I, I still think this one really stands out. Uh, I think it's a little heavier. It's got more swing. I think there's a, there's a, and there's some songs on here that completely like it's all, are all out grooves uh, yeah. and uh, and has the heartfelt thing. It's, it's got a little bit of everything, you know, but I, I just think it, it this one stands out so much to me with the same lineup that he's had. So I let's think. talk about some of those specific tracks, because we've kind of been talking about them just uh, kind of theoretically and, and everything so far. But, um, you know, what are some of the, the parts of this album that make it so much different than the last two? Or, or anything and stuff that we enjoyed the most. And the, what do we think of the singles? For me, you know, when I heard Emotion Sickness, I wasn't sure where this was going to go as a record. And I thought maybe it was kind of a weird single to lead off with after having a six year break. But when they came with like Paper Machete, I was yeah. like, oh, this is awesome. Paper Machete is great. It sounds a lot like lullabies. And it was like Queens that I really, really love. And I just love that one a lot. That's a good song. Hey, can, we, hey, can we pause for a second? Uh, speaking of Emotion Sickness, Tony, you remember being on the road and that song was released while we were touring together and there was mm -hmm. like a hour debate in the van of like trying to figure out who they ripped off on the chorus. Oh, I don't think yeah. we ever figured it out. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I remember that. I see, I don't think I, I ever heard it, you know, or, or like I, I never there wasn't like a reference ping for me of like, oh, that sounds like, but yeah, no, I totally remember sitting around trying to figure out, God, what were what were the leading uh, theories or well, Wheeler, or I Wheeler Wheeler is the one that brought it up because Mario, what like what what does that sound like? What is that? And he he said like I think he said Boston, uh, like a Boston song, and then Mario goes, mm -hmm. no, it's like I think it's I think it's a song from the Sticks, and they were just going like. Man, we were for an hour just diving into all these old songs, which I was sitting there like just loving watching. It made me also be like, this is kind of a credit to Josh or Queens that if, if he did rip somebody off, we can't pinpoint it. And it still sounds like him, you know, so I, I don't know. I thought it was kind of interesting that but we were just for, I mean, a solid hour of that trip trying to figure out what song it sounded like. And we couldn't find it. I I, I found like when that single came out, I I did not like it at all. Like I was like, what the like this this sounds like the worst Queens of the Stone Age song I've heard in a long time. And 
so that like, kind of put a I don't know if like that was intentional. You compare it to the rest of the songs in the album, it's still probably my least favorite song on the album. I want to. But then you go like it made the album that much better when I listened to it. When it came out, I was like, I was kind of relieved. I was like, all right, that was like that was a spoof, or like they did that just to fuck with us. Yeah, like like they said, let's take the weakest song on the record and put it and put it as the single. Because it did, I didn't lose like an intrigue. I still wanted to hear the record. Yeah, well, know, like, yeah. I still, and then it, I like you kind of said I was worried, and then <laughs> very pleased when I heard the record. You know, as a whole. Yeah. I think my, my favorite track on there is the last one, the stretch I could fitting. I found like a lot of the songs are they got a big mix of like the last two albums, plus like the earlier stuff is what I'm a big fan of. But when I like hear this music, like I just picture like a like a sideshow, like a dark freak show with like like sloth influence, like slow, like off time riffs and stuff. It's just like kind of like like sexy riffs too, but yeah, I, I, I like it, but I don't love it. I don't know. It's good. I thought yeah. that uh, the best songs were the songs that weren't singles. Like my, yeah. my two favorite were were definitely straight jacket fitting. That was my favorite song off the album. And then Mage Parade was probably my second favorite. Um, I thought they had just something extra going on that really reminded me of kind of like what you were saying, uh, Ryan, about their experimentation and how they're always willing to surprise you. Those songs surprised me, um, not just in terms of the last few years of Queens of the Stone Age, but in terms of the album itself. Um, and I think that what makes those songs so special to me, at least, is that they kind of complete the album and give it a, a a depth that I don't that at least some of the other songs had for me as a listener. Um, but those two songs, I mean, just the especially the last song, are really I think some of their better songs they've made um, in terms of kind of the thought going into it and things like that. Um, I could be completely off my ass, but at least. You know, as a listener, I, I found myself kind of entranced by those. As I was playing this out, I did it five times today, but I found myself repeating those songs a lot. I, I like how the album really starts off the opening track. Just really is a really strong track that just gets the album going right away, which is very, in my opinion, important for any band and album in the genre. Is like you got to have a you got to have a strong opener. That's obscenery. It goes back to classic music, yeah. whatever. But it's it's true, and this obscenery has that that sexy swagger. Like like Josh's vocals are like it sets it apart. Like right off the bat, like this is Queens of the Stone Age. Josh is sexy. Everything about this, like let's go dance and like fuck some shit up. Yeah. <laughs> One thing I've noticed about the last few albums. Um, is I need to, well, once I once I remember that I need to stop wanting it to be a stoner rock album, and I just accept the fact that it's this kind of sophisticated, like uh, almost it reminds me of like somewhere between like Interpol and like Arctic Monkeys, and that kind of it's it's not trying to hit you over the head with any catchy hooks or riffs. There's a lot of uh, sophisticated Roots. syncopation going on where it's not like a catchy hooky um, thing. It's more like it's almost progressive in a way. It's like progressive pop structures. Like they're not following any structure that happened before. Um, and so when, once I, because because I'm a sucker for hooks and and for catchiness, if I just let go of that, then I'm able to enjoy it a lot more. I felt uh, like this album had a lot of moments where it felt like they weren't they weren't trying too hard. Like it yeah. just he let it just breathe and let mm -hmm. it be what it is, and. Whereas like Light Clockwork and Villains had some moments on it where it felt like they were trying really hard to be Queens of the Stone Age. They they weren't quite sure what that meant and they were trying really hard to be it. Whereas yeah. this album felt like they were just like very comfortable with whatever this was and what it what it became, I guess. Yeah, I think I, one of the I things think, like one of, oh. go ahead. Go ahead, Tony. Yeah, okay. Oh, I, I was going to say one of, one one of the things that I've I've always appreciated about the Queens is 
there there are some bands that are trying to show you how clever they can be with their songwriting and then there's other bands that are really clever but make it seem really easy and i always felt like the queens i always felt like it was clever but like you didn't really realize how clever it was until you sat down and tried to potentially play along to it or whatever you know just, just things kind of will dart in and out and and the thing that i like about this record I, I walked around the lake here in my neighborhood a couple times this morning, just listening to the record over and over again. And, you know, I realized, I mean, there, there, there's a song or two on there that, that might not be my favorite, but I, I realized that I was almost listening to the entire record as though it was like just one long song. You know, it wasn't so much like, oh, there's this song, then there's this song. Oh, that song, like here we're bringing it down to change the mood. Like it kind of, felt effortless to me like like i said like almost like it was a 45 minute song instead of a a body of separate work yeah yeah, yeah i think that's really like early yeah. stuff yeah. i was talking about the sophistication where it's like there's a level of accomplishment there that isn't in your face but you can feel it it's a refinedness that i'm not always looking for because i like kind of caveman hit you over the head riffs and like big <laughs> slamming Cause and stuff but like my, my daughter is all about that stuff and as is randy so i've had to i had to learn to ingest some of it over the last several years like with the arctic monkey stuff and all that kind of thing and it takes a bit more patience for me so i, I can appreciate it now but i mean I, yeah but i think a lot think of the sound is it's kind of like what tony was saying about the sst records like when i think of whether it's highest or a lot of age, it's it's like a logical progression from hearing, especially Black Flag, because um, especially I mean, if you listen to Black Flag, there's a lot of like very sexual swagger to that as well. So, yeah, that's just some a kind of a thought that I had there. But that sophistication that you were talking about, Chris, I think that's really important. Like this is this is like you know punk rock in a suit and tie. You totally, know? that's exactly how I could I would describe right. it. Yeah. Not that it's yeah. up. It's just like it. I think that it's it's a logical progression of a genre. But sophisticated rock and roll is what it is, and and I I, I agree completely. And I think that's why I with a lot of the records I appreciate it the more I listen to it. And I think since the record came out, like we're talking about favorite songs, my favorite song on the record has changed probably like eight times already. Cause I just, Same, yeah. all of a sudden I, I hear something. I'm like, Oh man, like I didn't catch that. Like I hearing the song Sicily, like I didn't like my wife goes, that's my favorite song. And I go, really? Huh? And I kind of was like Tony where the, everything kind of blends together. And I had to be like, all right, which one is that? And mm -hmm. I went back and listened to it today and I go, man, that's, that's like the darkest sounding song on the record. It was pretty very cool. dark. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's very cool, it, though. It, it was really cool. But like, I think still my favorite one right now is, is negative space because of how much that riff swings and then the bass line on the stops. It's just, that's groovy. And to go back to Tony's point about like how some bands can, can write to be sophisticated or be sophisticated, but they're not trying to. I truly, I don't know this, but this seems like a band to me that every, it's about the song. It's not about... I think they're always, he's always writing for the song. Like what needs to be here is there. And if it's too much, take it away. Like kind of a, a less is more kind of guy. Cause Josh has never really seemed to be the guy that's got like walls of guitar amps and stuff. And, you know, I've read stories. He basically plays like out of shitty inexpensive amps and like, you know, it's, it's, it's about the feel and the groove and the, what the song calls for, I think more than what the genre or uh calls for i guess yeah i mean like i think his guitar tone like from what i've at least read which could be completely wrong is just like a boost and an eq pedal out of, out yeah. of shitty amp you know and a great shitty amp. from what i've also seen yeah i have I had a, to get, a I had to get to talk with dino about that in the van dino was like man because i was like hey dino what this is uh, Dino Lolly from Fatso Jetson and Big Pig. Uh, I was like, hey, what 
what uh what do you think of the single and he's like dude he's like it's rad it's man the, listen to the guitar tone is so huge and i was like really like this is coming from a guitar player so i was like i'm gonna listen a little more and there's something to be said about how unique the tone is the strings sound like they're that thick and the amp is cranked all the way up with no gain it's just it's very unique uh and i i can't quite put my hand on it i think it's a lot of it's the way his he his strumming patterns and the way that josh plays i mean i heard he was raised like what playing like like i don't know Tony knows more about what kind of music he played growing up. I think he was trained playing like a totally different kind of genre, obviously. Like I want to say it was like folk or banjo or something. I can't remember. That I don't remember. I mean, I, 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 you know, I remember when we were kids, our favorite bands were Discharge and Black Flag. Uh, I remember he was a big Credence fan. Uh, But yeah, I, I don't, I mean, I, I remember, like, I mean, we were, it, it wasn't so much, like, folk or whatever. It, it was kind of more like, there was, there was, like, one music teacher in the desert who taught. That's what it was, the music teacher. The music teacher. Okay, well, yeah, that, it, he was this old guy, like, you know, my parent when I started playing drums, my parents hired him to come over and teach me how to play drums. And I immediately, like, took two lessons and quit because that guy made music the most unfun thing on the face of the earth. Oh, yeah. um, and that was when like, I learned how to play drums by literally inviting like people over to like, Hey, let's try to start a band. And you know, it, it, it like I learned by playing with other people and I, my guess, and I honestly don't remember, but my guess is that Josh probably took a couple lessons from that guy and just sort of had the same experience, you know, of just like, fuck, this sucks, you know. And, and <laughs> anyway, yeah, I, I, it's something that had to do with whatever the the guitar teacher. Well, he, they, he had, the guy was, was a polka like, guy. really into something. Well, the teacher these different was like kind of really scales and stuff that was not normal. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, he he well he he did like his specialty was like he was like I I don't remember on what instrument, but he was like a polka wizard. Which, you know, I mean, <laughs> a guy in the Southern California desert being like a polka guy. That's just like, what? But, yeah. I have a, a deep appreciation for Josh Homme's, uh ability to write songs, like lyrically as well. And this one, obviously he went through some some things in his life leading up to this record. And he's kind of talked about it a little bit. Um, some health things and stuff with his his family and all that kind of stuff. But he he's talked about how you know he wasn't quite ready to record a lot of this. Like some of the music was recorded a couple of years ago, and he couldn't uh, finish you know the vocals and stuff until very recently. But he has always had a way of like injecting almost like a a, a sense of humor into this kind of stuff. Even as dark as a record that this is, and it feels there's always like this kind of like tongue in cheek that like humor everywhere even just like the song titles and stuff is just like it's full of puns and just like just this like kind of sly like humor and and you can hear it in certain lyrics and stuff but it you just even emotion sickness and carnivore and paper machete and just stuff like that just kind of his like way of finding words that fit together and just like making it kind of you know a, a little funny or something even I've always appreciated that in interviews and stuff. He seems to have a a, a sense of humor. Doesn't take yeah. things too seriously. He's kind of cracking jokes and having fun with life. Yeah, so I always appreciated that about about him. I'm a so- I'm a big Bourdain fan. So any of the episodes that Homie was on when he started talking about creative processes and writings and stuff, it was it 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 almost uh it it enhanced the things that I knew and then kind of the things that I didn't know. And then I took a larger appreciation into what the Queens actually did put out. And uh, it was less just my radio fun and a little bit more like there was a heart and soul within it and a lot more um, life that I could relate to once I kind of heard some of the uh, conversations that went about. That and there's less screaming now. Yeah, but he, to, to me, he's like so good at being like a smartass in his lyrics. Yeah, yeah. like totally. I, I'm, I'm like, man, what? That's he's like, 
got dad jokes in his lyrics and right. like expressions that, you know, people, you hear these expressions all the time that mean something. He, he's finding a way to use them in his lyrics that are very, very unique. Uh, he's a very clever songwriter without yeah. a doubt. One of, one of my favorite lyricists uh, for sure. Yeah. yeah I've always, I've heard it reminds me of like skateboarders. Hmm. I've, I've always thought Josh was like, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, no, I, I was just going to say, I, I've always thought Josh was cool. I've always liked him despite like he has got a lot of negative press here and there throughout the years for, I was always like kind of in that space, like wondering, well, what, what, what are these guys talking about? Like, I don't, I still think he's cool. Like just from his music, like you said, his sense of humor. And like, I, I thought he's always thought he was a badass. And Tony, how cool is he? <laughs> <laughs> Lay it all out. Give us the truth. <laughs> well, I think Josh is maybe one of he he is a hilarious dude. I mean, he's a he he's got a sense of humor on him. Uh, one one of the things, honestly, that I was really surprised about that I didn't really catch on the first couple listens of the record was how personal some of the lyrics were. And I only say that because I've always kind of felt like a lot of the songs lyrically are kind of a wink and a nod. And they, you know, it, it they, they aren't expressly obvious, like about what, what he's trying to say. And, you know, even this morning, like I happened to Google the lyrics for uh, uh, paper machete, and I was like, "Damn, like that's, you know, that's a pretty harsh it's a side of of it's a side of Josh that that lyrically I don't know. I mean, that the, there have been some things here and there over the years. I'm like, ah, I'm pretty sure I know what that's about, or you know, whatever. And and that's just yes for me. Like I've never asked, like, is that about or who is this or whatever. But, you know, I mean, I, I, I know what's been going on to a degree. You know, I mean, I've, as I guess everybody here on this panel knows. Uh, and reading that stuff, I was like, damn, like, you're not fucking around. Like, this isn't a wink and a nod. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's pretty blatant, for sure. Yeah, it kind of brings up that, that interesting thing of, like, because generally, I I try to separate the the person making the, the the music or the art in general from from who they are as a person. Um, like if they make good music, as long as they're not a fucking Nazi, like cool. Um, but you know, it, it's interesting when when artists bring in their personal lives in more obvious ways after things like kind of what's been in the the news and stuff, and you know, how vulnerable the feeling that's got to be. And so I, that kind of informed how I listened to some of these songs, maybe why I liked the last song so much. So overall, how do we feel? I, it sounds like it's been generally positive for, for this record. And I, you know, I don't know, we didn't really talk specifically about the last few or any other ones, but uh, I would assume that this was a step in the right direction for most of us in, in our opinions. And um. You know, what do you think about what's next for Queens? Um, this is the end of the trilogy, as as far as I know. You know, you think they're going to go somewhere different, somewhere further, somewhere heavier, somewhere back in time? What do you? What's everyone think? I have no idea what this trilogy thing is. Like, I I literally on Facebook saw that like somebody said the back of the artwork says uh, like clockwork villains and in times new Roman, you know, like I, yeah. I don't know what the trilogy thing is. So I don't know how that relates to what came before or what might come next. I mean, my personal two cents are that I was thinking about this morning, listening to the record is for me personally, it's probably my favorite Queens record since songs for the death. Uh, with the, you know, maybe in competition with, era vulgaris after that um but yeah yeah i'm a, i'm a fan yeah agreed 
Yeah, it's 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 their it's the strongest record for me. And but I mean, I I truly like all the records individually. Even at, even yeah. even this trilogy, as they're calling it, I, I I still look at the records as how they stand alone and have their own still have their own character. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's hard to beat self titled for me. Uh, it's always been my favorite, and I think that is still like the most. I mean, it's the first record. Of course, it's the most raw, but um, yeah. I just I've always appreciated that record. And and I don't know. Obviously, if I'm, I would want them to go back like in a direction like that, right? And write some. But I mean, thing is, they write good songs. I'm not. I'm not really. I'm not worried about uh, what comes next. I think so much. I, I have every bit of faith that it's going to be. It's something that as I listen to it more, I'm sure I'll appreciate at some point. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's one of those bands where I kind of go like, I'm not gonna even ask you to like do anything specific as long as you're like being authentic. Like, I'll kind of let you do whatever you want, kind of a thing. And so far, they've they've been pretty pretty good at doing all that. If I like if, that. if I think I'm the, the heaviest Doom album of all time, I would be happy with that. Just saying, <laughs> <laughs> it would probably it would probably be unique. Yeah, <laughs> just, just saying, if you happen to decide to do that, I wouldn't be upset. <sighs> he could probably make it the sexiest Doom record. That's what I'm thinking. He'd probably fucking yeah. destroy at it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I'm hoping from, um, you know, I, I know that this has a lot of personal uh, emotional ties within it. I hope in this repeated idea of a trilogy that this is maybe a big exhale. You know, and then there's almost like a rebirth or a reborn. So it could go back to the beginning or it could be something newfound or maybe it's a little, you know, hopefully life gives you the direction and the feeling comes out for the band and for Josh and whoever the creative aspects are that this was a big, deep, emotional exhale. And I I, I appreciate every little bit that it gave. And then hopefully there's an, an inhale like whether it's an up or an out or whatever it is, I, I, I really appreciate what they do and how they do it. And there's no mistaking a Queens, Queens of the Stone Age song when you hear it. There is that sex and that tone, and I will always be listening for it. I'm here for it. Yeah. <laughs> no, you, you said it. But I was going to think in the whole time we were talking tonight, like, you cannot mistake in a Queens of the Stone Age song. Like, they sound unmistakably like Queens of the Stone Age. Like, despite their differences from the early albums to now there's no mistaking queens of the stone age like and they have spawned so much influence on modern bands since they there's so many modern bands that that's one of the go-to like oh like you compare to like a an older band or a classic band the queens of the stone age is one of those comparison points to like categorize a new band like 100%. it's got a Queens of the Stone Age vibe going on. Like everyone knows what you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Think, to that point, there's a think about uh, Queens of the Stone Age because I heard songs for the deaf when I was in like elementary school. And uh, then I found through that Caius and then through that I found Electric Wizard and it just kept going on and on and on and on. So, you know, this is this is like this is what the like for me, I'm not a huge fan of the last few albums, but I still respect them because without Queens of the Stone Age, I'm not on this podcast. For example, yeah. I'm probably not a musician. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. but like- on that trilogy note, like I like I I knew nothing about this trilogy talk till you mentioned it tonight, and like I'm looking at the album, so it's got the dot 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 like clockwork, and then the dot 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 to finish off. So it, it like just the titles alone kind of bring it. There are some things, but it's it's kind of it's kind of vague. It's not very like cemented trilogy. It's there's like just a couple things, little little hints, but, but I don't know. But you could also lump those three. The last three albums do sound the most familiar together compared to the pre like clockwork, like Blake opened the show up with. Like pre like clockwork, it was slightly there was a different, a little bit different vibe going on than what the last three trilogy albums have and it's all good it's it's different preference so i think part of what what's great about them is they have a pretty wide swath of like demographics who listen to them and, and enjoy them it's not yeah, just they're, they're one of the most mainstream of 
what we're calling this, you know, genre, you know, which is a large umbrella of a genre for sure. And they're not stoner rock. That, no. I've never put them in the stoner rock category for whatever they're, they're from the desert, but this isn't stoner rock for, by my terms. Like people, there's been some people like, Oh, still like Queens of the Stone Age is your textbook stoner rock. Like I, I don't put them in stoner rock. Like it's more punk than stoner. I don't think any of their records are. And I think that, I think Caius, you know, could qualify, you know, because yeah. that's what kind of Desert comes rock from. or whatever. Yeah. And I remember when, and that to that, to a fault where I bought the debut record and I was so pissed. It didn't sound like Caius that I, I put it away for a long time, you know, but, but I mean, there's like, like y'all said, there's no mistaking their sound almost. And there's no mistaking the dozens and hundreds of bands that have ripped them off. Or have, have, have attempted to, uh, because if I were going to start a band, are, I would be ripping yeah. Queens off. I, I'll say that I don't have a band, <laughs> well, but if I did, yeah, 100% it would there, there's there's a lot of successful yeah. bands that have yeah. made it by ripping Queens of Stone Age off. You know, it's just <laughs> part of the hell. My, my band name even got Queen in it, and we're kind of like, <laughs> it didn't even it didn't even dawn on me until later. Like, oh, one of my favorite bands is Queen. Oh shit! That is nickel for every time <laughs> Randy said, "Hey, can you sing that more sexy like Josh Homme?" <laughs> I'm not even lying at all. <laughs> yeah. It's a yeah, thing. It's a thing. It is. One of the parts on this album that really stuck out for me is uh, like the guitar solo for Paper Machete. I think Troy plays that, actually. Yeah. It's, it's really, like, Wild. it's just strange and weird, but it just, like, it just did whatever and, like, doesn't sound like a typical guitar solo at all. It's got that really cool. And he's like, the one constant. Yeah. Yeah. Right, Tro- Troy is like the one constant I think since maybe Rated R. I think he's been around. Uh, I don't, I don't know exactly, but I mean he's he's a constant. With Josh has been writing with him forever, and his solos they sound like a Troy solo. They got that whammy in there. They got that fuzz. They got that spitty dirt. I, I, I love his tone for sure. It's always like, like reliable and solid, and all the stuff he does. Like he always like the, the live yeah. stuff is wicked, man. And he doesn't pick bad bands to be bad bands to be in either. He's been on quite a few successful ones. He was on Songs for the Deaf on. He wasn't on Rated R, but yeah. Okay, I couldn't remember. I know it was early on, and and he's yeah. been in bands like Failure and Perfect Circle. I mean, he just picks That's right. really rad bands to be in. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, is there any last words on this one? I think that we uh, I think we covered it pretty well. I'm hoping to see them live on this next tour. That's for sure. I thought you were going to say, when's the Caius reunion tour coming through? <laughs> maybe Ripple. Yeah. Maybe Ripple. The Fest other question. Year. How about Ripple Fest next year? Yeah. <laughs> oh man, I'd 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 love for that to happen, but I think I think the consensus and Tony can probably back this up. That may never happen. Probably <laughs> not. Probably not. From what from what I can gather, that'll probably never happen. Yeah, I, 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 I don't even know how to approach that question. Just, uh, <laughs> um, and and then then you get into the bickering of which lineup is it, or if it's not a certain lineup, who's involved and who isn't. You know, because there was overlap of different members at different times, and yeah, that that's a uh, that that whole. I, I'm I'm glad that I'm not involved in that debate internally. That's. I mean, what right. what what would yeah, what would what would be the lineup people would want to see? You know, is is it the Blues for the Red Sun lineup, or is it a mishmash of like? I mean, I don't know. You know, it's like like do you. I mean, is it Nick on bass? Or do you go even further back and go Chris Cockrell on bass or, you know, Brant or Alfredo? I mean, I, you know, I, I like I said, I'm, I'm glad I, I don't have to make those decisions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's not easy for sure. And and if they were to do any of it, half the people would be pissed off and say it's not the right lineup anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's like a it's like lose lose in a way i mean everyone there's a lot of happy people i'd be one of them but there is going to be some the diehards right they're going to say it's not right or something you never know yeah 
All right. Well, let's uh, let's put a bow on this thing. And um, everybody want to go around and, and tell us what you're up to and plug whatever you'd like. Um, Blake, you can kick things off for us. Yeah, it's been uh, more and more announcements. Uh, by the time this comes out, I'll be able to announce not only that Eddie has joined us on base, so that's really awesome, um, but also that King Volume will be putting out the second volume, uh, second album, sorry, uh, which is called The Falling. Um, it comes out Friday, October 13th. So Friday, October 13th. Really excited awesome. for that. Very cool. Congratulations. Thank you. Eddie as well. Yeah, congrats, man. Congrats. What are you up to? Besides, yeah, um, with iOS, I'm uh, working on music for the third album. Um, the Endless, we got a, we're going to the studio next month. Lords just got asked to open up for Hippie Death Cult um, September 13th at the Starlight Room. So it's not announced yet, but by the time this comes out, it should be. And if it's not, please edit this out. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, that's it. Awesome. What do we have going on? I have no idea. Uh, we got a split coming out with uh, IWAS. Yes, that too. Sorry. I, I thought I'd let you guys know. Yeah, okay. yeah, we're just old hat now, eh? <laughs> uh, no, we got that coming out. We got a whole bunch of shows. August is going to be busy with shows. Uh, September is busy with shows. Um, we got a live stream thing that we're working on. Uh, we're writing for the second album. We should be going to the studio this fall. Digital EP. We've got a digital EP coming. Well, I'm sorry about that. I don't know. I think we kind of delayed. It's whatever. Sorry, I'm a girl. I'm just gonna say things like. Wah. Anyways, yeah, we got we got some stuff in the shoot ready to fire. So, cool. Tony, what are you up to? Uh, Fato Jetson has a couple festivals coming up. Playing a festival uh, in Albuquerque in the beginning of August, and then Ripple Fest in September. Uh, All Souls is doing some regional touring. Uh, we're going to be up in the Bay Area next month. Uh, and then I put out a book of my photography with corresponding essays. It's all stuff that, uh, if you're into this kind of music, it's Salt and Sea, Bombay Beach, uh, oh all, all the stuff you've seen from like Caius Records and, and Fatso Jetson and Queens. It's all desert landscape photography of, of all this stuff with my essays, you can uh, get that at tonytornay.bigcartel.com. And uh, other than that, I'm just, you know, being useless in general. <laughs> Very cool. That I'm going to get that. I love Salton Sea and Bombay Beach. That that place was trippy as fuck. And Slab City and Salvation Mountain. I really enjoyed those areas. They're all in the book. And it's all, it's all stuff I shot actually back <laughs> in the... Uh, late 90s early 2000s before bombay beach like caved in on itself and oh no way you know yeah when was so it uh, tonytornado.com cool, cool. Yeah, doing it's, an it. awesome, it's an awesome book it's an awesome book i'm doing it bucky yeah Yay. so i not a whole lot going on i'm uh well we're doing the doom charts countdown podcast tonight we're gonna record that for june which this album we talked about was number 10 on the doom, the June doom chart. So it's for mainstream, more mainstream. It was kind of like the doom charts are, you know, it's, it's hard to tell what's really going to chart if it's like yeah. more well-known. It's, it's so it's, funny that it even appears on there at this point in their career and whatnot. Yeah. Like not only are they huge, but I mean, they're so far from, you know, a lot of that music that's on the doom charts. So, well, but, it, but it's kind of a testament to, what who their audience is and like, like exactly what like it us, is yeah, we exactly still, what it is. we're still listening to queens of the stone age like yeah they're still they're still in the club the underground club even though they're also widely like in the mainstream so yeah everyone just yeah. pays attention to those members and anyone that there's connected to and anyone that they've touched over the years and they just keep paying attention no matter what kind of record queens puts out or how long they are in their career it's like people still pay attention very cool ryan so by the time this is out, we'll be in the middle of our first brewery tour. We're doing a brewery and dive tour. We're playing all breweries. We're filming a documentary of us tasting the beers and touring. On that tour, I'll get to see you, Tony, in Albuquerque, because we play that festival the same day, uh, yep. Burke City Rock Fest, and then obviously Ripple Fest. When we get back from that 
um, tour. I'll be polishing up the vocals and maybe a couple things here on our second record, which is slated for a spring of 24 release, which I'm excited about. Yeah, very exciting. All right, guys. Well, everyone go check out the new Queens record, and we'll see you on the next podcast, I guess. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Hey, thanks, Tony, again. Appreciate it. Thank Thank you, guys.